May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept whatever we have done. So we, we start today with the 10th juz of the Qur'an, which is a continuation of Surah Al-Anfal. Anfal, plural of nafal, as we had discussed yesterday, it means war, uh, war spoils. And there's a big discussion about that here. So in the beginning of the Surah, there was a question, يَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ anfal. They ask about the war spoils. So... Right now what we're doing is there's going to be more There's now at the beginning of the 10th juz here From verse 41 The discussion goes on to this ghanima What they call ghanima Right, anfal or ghanima Same kind of uh, meaning there So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says That out of the war spoils Whatever the army will receive uh, Whatever they will, uh, they will get from the spoils then one-fifth of that needs to go to the messenger. And that, when you say for Allah and his messenger, that means that it's the, the family of the Prophet ﷺ, the orphans and the needy, they're all provided from that. Then where do the four-fifths go then? Where does the other, uh, where does the other 80% of it go to? Right. So the four-fifths, the 80%, that is then distributed among the Mujahideen, among the warriors. So that's one of the income of the Mujahideen, is basically the spoils of war. That's one way of income, right? if they do it well. After that discussion, after that discussion, from verse 
42 begins an in-depth discussion of the Battle of Badr. If you remember, um, a few days ago, we discussed in... It was in... Uh, earlier on, we discussed that the Battle of Uhud was discussed in detail. And the Battle of Badr was just mentioned at the beginning, in passing. And then it d jumped to the discussion of the Battle of Uhud, which was as a response to the Battle of Badr. But the Battle of Badr was not discussed in detail there. So now in Surah Al-Anfal, the Battle of Badr is discussed in detail. And again, a number of, it's almost like an analysis of the Battle of Badr, showing what benefits you receive from it, what harm it's done, uh, what benefits you have received, how it's created such an awe. And then a number of incidents that took place during the battle as well are, referred, uh, are mentioned here. And then, just to give you an idea, once that completes, then pretty much the rest of the surah, which uh, goes right to the end of the chapter, right? Surah Al-Anfal is quite a longer surah. It goes all the way, uh, it goes until uh, the quarter, quarter of the chapter, then it moves on to Surah Al-Tawbah or Surah Al-Bara'a. And that has a similar theme anyway, which then goes all the way until the end of the chapter. So after that will be the discussion. So today, basically, there'll be two big discussions. One is the Battle of Badr in Surah Al-Anfal. And then after that, in Surah Al-Bara, Surah Al-Tawbah, the discussion is about the Munafiqeen. And it seems like it's kind of the final nail on, the, on their coffin. Because in this one, it basically opens them up. It reveals them. Until now, the discussion was that it wasn't opening up. It was mentioning some of their ploys and their tactics and their plots and everything like that and their private conversations. But now it makes it very clear. And then there's the discussion of the, better, uh, of the expedition of Tabuk that has a very prominent feature in uh, Surah Al-Bara'a. Uh, a lot of it is to do with the Tabuk, which was a really major battle, in, uh, major expedition rather. It ended up with no battle at the end with the, with the Romans. But it was a, one of the most difficult ones that they had faced. So there's a lot of discussion about there and about the fallouts from that, the repercussions from it and the various different reactions to it. So inshallah, that's basically what we're looking at today. So it starts off with a proper scenery. Very graphic scenery is provided at the beginning, for the beginning of the Battle of Badr, from the verses 42, 43 and onwards. Al is antum bil dunya. The verses that were read at the beginning is antum bil dunya wa hum bil qusua. Now I'm going to read out a translation for you just to make it easy to provide you that imagery and that scenery. Remember, Allah says, remember when you were on the nearest end of the valley and they were on the furthest end. So they're both in the same valley, the valley of Badr. And the caravans went downwards from you. Had you made an appointment with each other, you would have disagreed about the appointment. Meaning this was just so God-incidental, as opposed to coin, uh, um, coincidental, right? It's god like Allah wanted this to happen this way. Had you planned it even, you would not have been able to basically get together like this. Then it says, but it happened like this so that Allah might accomplish what was destined to be done. So that whoever is going to perish may perish knowingly. And whoever is going to live may live knowingly. Allah is indeed all hearing, all knowing. Then that continues. Recall when, now the Prophet ﷺ has had a dream here. So recall when in your dream Allah showed them to you few in number. The Prophet ﷺ sees a dream beforehand. And he sees that there are just a few. There were a lot more, three times as much or something. But they were just shown a few. 
If he had shown them to you many in number, you would have been demoralized and would have disputed in the matter. Should we really fight them? Should we not find them? But Allah saved you. Surely Allah is fully aware of what lies in the hearts. Now this is interesting that he, in a battle, if you see your enemy as less, it's a huge morale boost. Oh, we can walk over them. And generally, if you can show yourself to be in greater number than your enemy, then that's really good because you strike awe. Right? That's why in many, on many occasions they would actually split people up like fires and do all sorts of things in those days to basically show that there's a huge encampment, whereas there'd be actually much fewer people. However, it says, and when at the time you meet each other, he showed them to you few in number in your eyes. Okay, that's understandable. So when you actually then, after the dream, when you actually went for the battle, he still showed you them few in number. You still saw that there were few, so your morale was not dimmed at all. But then, and he reduced your number in their eyes. What was the reason for that? Right, the idea would have been that we're shown in a bigger number, but no, even you were reduced in their eyes. So that, and this is the reason, so that Allah might accomplish what was destined to be done. And to all and to Allah, uh, all matters are returned. Now this is interesting. And I, 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 you know, I've always intrigued at the, these verses and the way they come at the beginning here and what they mean. So these are the, the kind of main points that are going to be mentioned about the Battle of Badr. I'll just quickly go through them and then point out any other specific verses so that we can move on. You see, the point is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted this battle to happen. This was going to be the first one and it was going to happen. There was no way to avoid it. So that's why while he wanted to moralize you, as in the Muslims, uh, the Muslim force of the Prophet because they were, they, they were very few in number, the Muslims. I think they were about 300 and something, 313 or something. And the others were at least a thousand. So they showed you them to be a thousand. Sorry, they showed you them to be very little. Oh, I can walk over them. It's not a problem. Right? And then the other side, it showed to make sure that they also fight and they don't run away and they get a good whacking, a good beating, they showed the disbelievers, they showed them that the Muslims were also low in number. And this is the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala assists and changes things in battle, even if there's a small group of people, you know, with a larger group. This is where the divine, because Allah for him, everything is at his disposal, the perspective, right, and the inspiration and so on. So once that's done now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from verse 45 begins to talk about some war, battle, uh, adab, the fundamental principles for Muslims. I guess it could be used in anything really, right? Um, metaphorically, you can use it in anything, but especially in a battle, these are some very fundamental principles that you need to abide by for you to get success. That's why Allah says 45, so firstly, when you meet your enemy, then you need to be steadfast. After that, you can't loosen up and you can't start running away. You need to be very steadfast and you need to stand your ground. Number two, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah kathira." You need to abundantly rem remember Allah. That's, in fact, that's like your weapons, right? That's your additional shield, that's your additional force. So that you gain tuflihun, so that you gain success. Number three, which is really important, which unfortunately the world doesn't understand today. I mean, Allah says, Be obedient to Allah and His Messenger, and 
Wasbiru. Do not dispute. Do not separate. Do not disband. Do not start having your own little petty problems and petty issues so that your air, basically the, the balloon bursts. Tadhaba rihukum. I mean, this is, this is an idiom, right? Your, 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 your wind will be taken away. Your, your air will be gone. There'll be no air in you, so you'll be just loose and nothing. And then the enemy will just walk over you. Wasbiru and be patient. Patient, okay, you may have little issues with your brothers. You may have little issues. But be patient, persevere. Talk about the ulterior motive. The ulterior, keep the focus in mind. And then Allah says, In Allah sabirin. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the fourth adab he's teaching us here is, well, sabr was the fourth one. The fifth one you can say is, don't, like, don't be like those people who go out exultingly, arrogant and so on. You need to go thinking that this is for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it's not my own doing. Even if you have all the might in the world. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us from in verse 47, 48, This is a very interesting incident that shows how shaitan works among people. While these verses uh, were, had been revealed about the Battle of Badr, really they apply to all battles. Because these are fundamental ground rules for any battle, for anybody. And I'm sure the British Army, the American Army, etc. I mean the British Army, you know, I'm sure they teach similar kind of ideas, except not with the God aspect in it. It's about for your country and stand firm. And you know, there's a lot of drilling that takes place. But when you're doing something for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you're not going to come back with post-traumatic stress disorder, which is a huge problem. From Vietnam, I think it was about a quarter at least that came back with that problem. And they basically went on to commit various different crimes and problems because they just, they had no counseling. They didn't have much counseling as well, it seems. And I have not, in our history, I mean, in, especially during the time of the Sahaba, I can't talk about after that. In time of the Sahaba, I've never heard of anybody coming back with that kind of a, uh, a disorder. Right, because there was a very particular reason that they were doing it for, right? And it was a very holy. There was no uh, dissonance among them, right? There's no dissonance. It was very clear what they were doing, and why they were doing it. And that's very difficult to attain, except where you have some very strong faith, right? And there's no selfishness in that regard. So anyway, eventually, what happens is that the Quraysh they lost out. They were defeated big time. It was the first one, and they were defeated, and the, 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 the reason for that is very clear which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says when you start disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's assistance is, what, is not with you so that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that in verse 52 Allah provides several examples about showing how even with Pharaoh where he had everything at his disposal but when he went into disobedience he lost everything so we're going to seize them because of their sins. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has all ability to do that. What we understand from reading all of this, right? In, inshallah, when you get the time, you will read this carefully, right? And really ponder over it. But the general message that we're getting from here, for Muslims, the guidance is very clear. That when you're in front of your enemy, there are several different types of preparation you need to make. You obviously need to make material preparation. You need to have the equipment and the facilities, the technology, whatever it is that is needed for the day. Number two, you need the military 
might, which obviously relates together. The military and the material is all together. And above that, what you really need is the spiritual, the religious and spiritual, your mind, your perspective, your eagerness, your zeal, your cause needs to be very, very well thought out as to why you're doing this. So clearly what this battle shows, the battle of Badr, why it's so significant, is that from the first two perspectives, from a military perspective, from an equipment perspective, the Muslims ha didn't have much at all. But from a religious perspective, they, religious and spiritual perspective, they were way beyond the other side. The other side had nothing. They had a lot of the material perspective, they had a lot of the material equipment on their side, but they had no spiritual perspective. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showed in this case that you got, the, you, you, you got the victory because of that, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala helped you. However, this is not going to be forever, where you can be able to just use your spiritual victory, sorry, your spiritual strength, and you have no equipment. That's not going to work all the time. So that then is clarified later, just before somebody misunderstands this, right? And in their weird idea, they just jump out and they try to do something crazy, as we've had people doing that, right? So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, continuing on, the next so many verses to the end is, So he's telling them that, look, while this was a one-off, this was a victory that you got just like that, Allah wanted it to happen, raise the morale and everything. But now you need to actually prepare for them. So just as militarily and equipment-wise, in terms of ribatil khayl, so from, we see that from verse 60 onwards, the discussion is that now prepare for them as much as you can of your strength, your defense, you know, in terms of horses and whatever else that you need, by which you can already strike awe into the hearts of your enemy. One of the benefits of that is that it's a deterrent. That's why you hear some of the superpowers of the world, America, etc., going on about their military might. Right? If you notice, whenever they're talking with North Korea or Iran or whatever, they're always talking about, we can do this to you, we can do that to you. And what that does is that helps to basically just overawe the other, the other, uh, the other place so they don't do anything silly. Right? So that it's better not to have war than to actually have war. That's, I think, pretty much everybody will agree with that except certain neocons or certain individuals who want war because they're linked to the arms industry or something. So that's where they're going to make their money. Right? There's, there's a lot of mix-up like that. However, immediately afterwards, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, after, uh, after the verse talking about preparation, in verse 60, in 61, he says, وَإِن جَنَحُوا لِلسَّلْمِ فَجْنَحْ لَهَا وَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ If they want a treaty with you, if they want peace with you, then incline towards that, right? If you don't you know, feel, feel deception or whatever, then you should do that. Because war is not a good thing, and, re and rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He's all listening and all knowing. So that's why the, the general discussion that we have here is that because of spiritual preparedness, those that have less equipment will become much more stronger sometimes, at least in their fervor, than the other side. Um, and a smaller group can overcome a bigger group sometimes because of that reason. Because of a spiritual reason, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it easy for a person to want shahada. We have the huge concept of shahada in Islam which is a very powerful idea. I mean, it's so powerful that people misuse it. They want to get shahadat on the streets of London by killing innocent people, right? That, that's how people just abuse these kind of things. But in a war situation, shahadat is very, very powerful. You know, because you're not losing somebody for nothing. You're not losing yourself for nothing. 
So that's why what Iman does for, for an army that has good Iman and a force that has the, the, the faith with them, what it does is that it actually creates an awe. They have the, it's almost like a halo around them that is seen by the enemy about these people are awesome. Right? That these people are awesome and they just like this power that they can't imagine, which is basically the power of Iman that they are, they are seeing. And that in, in itself shakes the enemy, which is very, very powerful. So just because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying here very clear, the Mufassirin mentioned that just because Allah is saying that you need to be prepared and so on, that doesn't mean that you must be, you know, you must be prepared so that you must always go to war and just on smallest excuses. No, you need to try to defuse and you need to have treaties in place to do that. Rather, that's better than that. Now, uh, before we get to the end of the chapter, I just want to point out a few verses here. Allah subhanahu this is very... What, uh, verse 100 and uh, actually verse 48 what is Zayyan lahum Shaytan when he um, adorned when he basically misled the Meccan army right the disbelievers he misled them what he did was he said to them that la ghaliba la ghaliba lakum nobody can overcome you don't worry you'll walk over them he gave them that false pretense right wa inni jarul lakum and I'm here to defend you. Now, what happened here exactly is that Shaitan persuaded the, the Quraysh, who were maybe having two ideas. There, there were a few things that happened, you'll, you'll understand. He basically persuaded them to attack the Muslims. How did that happen? This persuasion, it could have come either by a whispering in their heart, right? A whispering in their heart. But actually, the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions it here, and as Ibn Jarir in his tafsir has quoted from Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu, he said that what happened is that while they were leaving their home, the people of the Quraysh apprehended that the neighboring tribe of Banu Bakr, right, so there was a tribe of Banu Bakr that were close to them, who were their enemies. So they felt that if they left to attack uh, the, the Prophet's army, these Banu Bakr would actually attack their homes in their absence. Now, you'd rather protect your own than you know, to go and attack somebody else. So in order to remove this uh, uh, apprehension, shaitan appears to them in the form of a person called Suraka who was known. Now Suraka is not around there, but Suraka comes along, shaitan comes in his form, right? Suraka. And uh, he claims that through his tribe, he's going to protect their homes and their families against any attack from Bakr. So don't worry about Bakr, I'll take care of them. You guys go and do what you have to do, right? Thereafter, so when, when they left, when they left and they departed, he then joined them at Badr as well. So when the Quraysh army got to Badr, he actually joined them there. When they started the grapple with one another, and then he saw the angels descend, he could see them, right? He saw the angels descend. That's when he ran away. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, He basically turned on his heels. Right? وَقَالَ إِنِّي بَرِئُمْ مِنْكُمْ He says, I got nothing to do with you guys. And he disowned them. He goes, I got nothing to do with you guys anymore. Right? I can see what you cannot see. I can see the angels. And I fear Allah here. So, that's shaitan for you. That's why you can never trust. That's why the only way to protect yourself from shaitan, even when you're having important meetings, important decisions are being made, shaitan, shaitan can come and whisper into somebody's mind and then suddenly they basically give a different idea. Right, you thought everything was fine, everybody was on the same page, and suddenly somebody comes with a wacky idea, right, and just messes it up. That's why one of the only ways to have prevention of this is to 
do the dhikr of Allah, even in a meeting to do a dhikr of Allah. Right? So at least do some dhikr so inshallah the shaitan can stay away and you can have a fruitful discussion. Now to move on uh, towards the, the quarter, what we have is... Yeah, we have to hurry up. We don't have too much time. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for us. From verse... Uh, this is a very interesting point on verse 67. Right? So in verse 67, what happened is that uh, aside from 70 being killed, 70 of the leaders being killed, which I mentioned the other day, there were about 70 mushrikeen that were captured as well. Right? So there was a huge loss for the people of, uh, for the people, for the Quraysh. Now the Prophet ﷺ, he consulted with the Sahaba as to what should we do with them? This is the first instance. They had no precedence before this. So there was a, 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 a group that said, there was a large group, that said that, look, let's just take a ransom from them. Abu Bakr was part of that group. Let's take a ransom and let them go. Right? We've got the money. We'll get the money from them as well. And we'll let them go. They're just, you know, they're just uh, prisoners. Whereas Umar whose view was that, no, this is the first time we're doing this. These people are very troublesome. Let's finish them off completely this time. I mean, it's fair and square. Let's finish them off. So that after that, uh, you know, we, have n we, we don't have any threat. It wasn't just his view. There were a few others. As well, I think Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh I think it was his view as well But it looks like they were maybe in a, in a minority The Prophet in his compassionate nature All his forgiving He took the other view He took the view that let's take a ransom And subhanallah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says Now these are very stern words And there's several places in the Quran Where the Prophet is censored But immediately he's forgiven Or immediately Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Shows him softness and compassion so here Allah says, just look at these words. I remember the first time reading the meaning of this, it was, it was really, you know, it took me aback. It's not appropriate, it is not the right or prerogative of a prophet to take prisoners. Right? And dunya, wallahi, are you looking for the material of this world and so on? Lawla then in verse 68. I still remember the tafsir of this. Lola kitabu min Allahi sabak. Had it not been for a decree that had already passed, then in what you did, a severe punishment would have afflicted you. And according to some narration, it shows that the Prophet, I think he said, that the punishment had come up to those trees there. But because the decree from Allah had been made that Islam is going to continue and the mission had to continue, that's why. But it's to show that no, this is not the right thing to do. That was not the right thing to do. But now they'd already done it. Right? So now you, uh, in Islam, you don't go back on your words. So now they took the ransom. Now, is that ransom haram or not? Right? Because it wasn't what Allah wanted at this point. So then Allah says in the next verse 69, halalan No, this is allowed for you. Eat it, it's halal and pure. Wattaqullah. And then I just want to point out another verse, which is verse 65. Which is that initially the idea was that Allah says, Allah is telling them that if there's only 20 of you in huge perseverance, you can actually take a force 10 times your size. 10 people, sorry, 20 can take over a force of 200. And another example he says is that if you're 100, you can deal with 1,000. Right? But... Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made it lightened on you now. 
basically the idea was that if the, the, the Muslims were told that if you have to face an enemy ten times your size, it's necessary for you to fight. You're not allowed to run away. Because, you know, every army has uh, their own laws as to, you know, when you retreat or when you just move away. So he says that if it's ten times your size, you must still go for it. Right? However, then Allah says that, no, now we've made it easier for you. Now, if you're a hundred, you can overcome two hundred. So, if they're double your size, then you'll have to fight. But if they're beyond double your size, then you're not obligated to fight. Then the surah finishes by talking about a lot of the virtues of those who have taken part in uh, the migration, believed migration, jihad with their wealth and themselves in the path of Allah, and those who've supported Allah and His messengers, and everybody's included, and their rewards are mentioned. And by that, the discussion ends. Now what happens is, we begin with Surah At-Tawbah. Now most of you who are looking at your Qurans right now, your Mus'hafs right now, you'll see that Surah At-Tawbah does not have a Bismillah at the beginning, whereas every other one of the 113 surahs in the Quran has a Bismillah. So why is this one not with a Bismillah? Right? Also, another thing is that Surah Al-Anfal was, Surah Al-Anfal was, if it's talking about the Battle of Badr, the Battle of Badr took place earlier on in Medina Munawwara. That means Surah Al-Anfal is an early Medinan surah. Whereas Surah Al-Tawbah, which is also called Surah Al-Bara'ah, is a very late Medinan surah. Right? In fact, it was, it was revealed in the 9th Hijri. It's about Tabuk. Tabuk took place just before the Prophet ﷺ passed away, before the Prophet ﷺ departed from this world. So there's two surahs, they're coming together. And there's also these discussions which we'll try to have at the end as to why there's no Bismillah mentioned here and why it's, why it's even here, even though Surah Al-Anfal only has how many, how many verses did Surah Al-Anfal have? 75 75 ayahs in Surah Al-Anfal. Why is that there in a sub'ut tiwal? In the seven long surahs, okay, Surah Al-Tawbah is longer, right? Surah Al-Tawbah has 129 verses. But why is Surah Al-Anfal there? There's a big discussion as to why Surah Al-Anfal is there. Because Surah Al-Anfal should have been later in the mi'in, right? In the hundreds as opposed to the, 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 the long ones. Especially in this order, it's not there. So it's kind of in the middle of nowhere, it almost seems. So we'll, we'll discuss that insha'Allah later. But anyway, to talk about Surah At-Tawbah, Surah At-Tawbah has, is a Madani Surah, late Medina Surah, 129 verses, about 16 ruku, 16 sections, 16 thematic sections. And there's several names for it. One is called Surah At-Tawbah, right? The chapter of repentance. Number two, it's also called Surah Al-Bara'ah, exoneration, right? To declare your exoneration from all, uh, uh, all the mushrikeen and all the others at that time. There's also another name of it, which we'll discuss later, it's called Suratul Fadiha, right? The one that brings to shame the munafiqin, that basically opens up all of their secrets. So it's all called Suratul Fadiha, because one of the main themes of this surah is the munafiqin. And it obviously starts from, and it's beautiful the way it starts, it's very, very striking, right? It's very bold, very striking. Allah says, Bara'atum min Allahi wa rasoolihi ila alladheena a'ahadtum min al-mushrikeen fasihu fil ardi arba'ata ashhurin wa'lamu annakum ghayru mu'jizillah wa anna Allah mukhzil kafirin So this is a declaration of exoneration from Allah and his messenger 
to all of those that they had treaties with and to everybody else as well. And then it continues like that. So there's a number of laws that are mentioned here. Now, this surah was revealed around the time when the Prophet ﷺ is setting off to deal with the Romans for the first time. Right? Much of the smaller areas, much of the Arab peninsula has all entered into Islam now. Right? Majority of it has entered into, into Islam. But now the next superpower to their north are the Romans and to their south in Yemen. Right? It's uh, the Romans. And the Romans, they're getting worried because initially they just left these people alone thinking they're just wild, ignorant people. But now when they see this, there's border clashes, there's issues happening at borders. So now there's an impending danger. So the Prophet ﷺ sets up this huge army to go, right, during Tabuk time. And that is the time when this surah is revealed. So it's a very, very delicate time, very sensitive and uh, very critical moment. What happened is that, number one, this expedition of Tabuk takes place at a time when it's intensely hot. Right? So the weather is very, very, very hot. And the journey is going to be very long. This is probably the longest they've gone. They go further north. Now, if you go from Medina Munawwara, if you go south, that's Makkah Mukarramah. If you go north, you get to Khaybar. And then after that, you get to Tabuk. And then if you carry on, you then get to what would be today Amman, Jordan, and these places in Syria. Right? So it was the longest trek. So number one, you had to prepare for that. It was very, very hot. Number three, the people were farmers. So their crops were just ready then. And if you didn't pick them, you'd lose them because they'd spoil. So you can see the huge fitna, the huge trial and test from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That was obviously their means of income. You know, the, so. And then fourthly, you're dealing now with a superpower. No longer is it small Arab tribes, just like you, right? But now this is the first time you're getting foreigners, huge armies, superpower of the world, properly equipped, organized, everything. So this was going to be a major test for people's faith, sincerity, and their truthfulness. This is where you're going to find out whether somebody is a Siddiqeen or not. Now the problem with all of that was that you had the Munafiqeen. Right, which were going to cause a lot of problems here. But this was now the final nail in their coffin, right, that they became clearly out after that. Right. So Surah At-Tawbah has basically two, uh, two purposes, you can say. One is to talk about the ahkam of jihad, because th- there's a lot of the mention here. And number two is to basically discuss the difference between iman and nifaq, right, faith and hypocrisy. So firstly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has them make all of these announcements that from now on, you're not going to be able to come into the Kaaba to do your tawaf. You're not going to be able to come and perform the hajj. The mushrikeen are now banned. Likewise, anybody else is banned. And a number of other things that are mentioned there. And also there's a discussion about which is used in a lot of uh, Islamophobic uh, material. And it's sometimes it's these verses, which are uh, verse number five. Now once... The, the four months that were given to them to, uh, to, to declare the ending of the treaties, then the discussion was, right, that now you can go and you can basically kill them wherever they are. So generally, this is quoted as a general thing for every time. So, so for even today, you can actually just go and kill people. This is what people misuse here, and they show that this is, uh, this is basically an Islamic. But this is a very time-specific. It was for that time regarding the Arabian Peninsula due to certain circumstances and the issues that were taking place at that time. 
Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala moves on to discuss. There's about now 20 ayat afterwards. You see, they were having a big trouble now. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also gives them permission to fight not just with the mushrikeen, but with also with the people of the book. See, until now they were both supposed to be together. But the problem is that the, the, three, uh, Bani, uh, the three Israelite tribes, the Banu Qaynuqa, Banu Quraidha, and the Banu Nadir, they saw that they, they don't have much power left. So they tried to start doing all of these different intrigues and all of these different plots working with the enemy from behind. So many times they basically supported the Meccan army from behind. And that was going to cause a big problem. So that's why um, they were, it was allowed to fight with them as well and to take care of them as well. Now you have about 20 verses afterwards that discuss basically the inner dirt, the impurity, the deception that was held in the hearts of the munafiqeen. So this is where it just really opens up their secrets. That's why it's called Surah Al-Fadiha, as I mentioned as well. And so anyway, just to give you some ideas, some prominent verses here. You know, we can't read the whole thing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that because this was such a difficult journey, Alhamdulillah, among the believers, there were very few that stayed behind. They just went, regardless of the situation. Very few stayed behind. However, the munafiqeen, they knew this was a difficult one. And they were just with the Muslims just to get the benefit. So that's why it mentions in many verses that where they thought it was an easy win, they would join the Muslims. Where they thought it was difficult, they wouldn't stay with them. And then if they were attacked afterwards and if the Muslims suffered, they would say, see, see we told you. Right? That's why we didn't come with you. Right? We knew that this was not worth it. This was their tactic throughout. So now in, in verse 42... Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet in advance that there's going to be these munafiqeen, they're going to come to you taking huge oaths, right? That if we had enough strength, we would have come with you, but we couldn't because of the, they'd make, they're going to make all of these excuses. So, as I said, the majority of the Muslimin, except a few, and we'll discuss them tomorrow in the next chapter, right? They all went, regardless of their situation. Now the Prophet ﷺ, he dealt with them with akhlaq and with character because Allah had told him already, so which we'll learn tomorrow. He just said, okay, fine, you got an excuse, okay, fine, okay, fine, leave it to Allah. He did not, even though it's quite clear, their excuses were very feeble. In fact, some of them brought up some really foolish, some so really foolish excuses. One of them, whose name was Jad ibn Qais, Jad ibn Qais, he said, Ya Rasulullah, I am very, very weak. Uh, my, uh, I'm, I'm very weak resolve And this is in verse 49 If you look at verse 49 He says وَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ يَقُولُ ذَلِّي وَلَا تَفْتِنِّي Let me not go And don't, con- don't let me confront fitna What's the fitna? The fitna is He says that I don't have too much resolve And mashallah These Roman women They're very white and attractive Right? And I feel that I might go for jihad there, but I may get involved in fitna. Just crazy ideas like that. So that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that even some of them say that permit me and don't expose me to fitna. Allah fil fitna di saqatu. They already dropped, they're already headlong into fitna anyway. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions several other things that they will swear huge oaths to try to convince you. They're going to use excuses. They will do that, they will do that. 
And then on one occasion, when everything they would say would be revealed in the Quran, they started saying about the Prophet ﷺ, that he is the ear, that he just hears everything. So they started calling him the ear. Allah says, no, you guys have the problem. He's not the ear like you're saying. This is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, another verse 64 tells us that the, mun- the munafiqeen, they, you can tell now they were, you know, when, you know when the time of somebody comes to the end, they start getting even more aggressive, right? Because they can't relax anymore. So verse 64 then tells us, يَحْذَرُ الْمُنَافِقُونَ أَن تُنَزَّلَ عَلَيْهِمْ سُورَةٌ تُنَبِّئُهُمْ بِمَا فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ this was a constant concern of the munafiqeen that since all these little information is passed to the Prophet ﷺ, soon there's going to be actually a surah that's going to be revealed which is going to make it very clear what's in their heart. So all of their secrets are going to be revealed. So Allah says, قُلِ اسْتَهْزِئُوا إِنَّ اللَّهَ مُخْرِجُ مَا تَحْذُرُونَ You keep making your fun and you keep mocking, right? And you stay within your mockery. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to soon reveal what your Concerned about Another thing that they would do As you find in 67 Is that they constantly stop people from doing good So the verse is Al-munafiquna wal-munafiqatu ba'duhum min ba'd Right? They, they're all brothers and sisters among themselves Ya'muruna bil-munkar They actually command the wrong ma'ruf And they stop people from doing good Wa aydiyahum And they keep their hand withheld So they don't spend in the path of Allah They've forgotten Allah So Allah has forg- uh, forgotten them there's lots of warnings for them, but basically this is very clear. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives certain examples that kalladhina min qablikum. These munafiqeen are just like some of the people in history before them who were even stronger than them because these guys had no strength. They were just hiding among the Muslims. The people before them had a lot of strength. Kalladhina min qablikum. Who had much more wealth, who had much more children, who had much more strength. But... Unfortunately, they did not get anywhere. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to strike a contrast with the munafiqeen, He talks about the believers, al-mu'minuna wal-mu'minatu, ba'duhum awliya'u ba'd. The believers, they're generally friends of one another. They command the right. They prohibit from the wrong. They establish prayer. They give zakat. They obey Allah and His Messenger. These are the people who, ulaika sayarhamuhumullah. Allah is going to have mercy on them. And you, you see that in verse 71. Basically, until the end of the surah now, it's just a discussion about the munafiqeen and the other evil. To the extent that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala finally says, and this is when it becomes all open, right? Because uh, you learn more about how exactly it opens up and everybody could become, it becomes very clear who's a munafiq and who's not quite clear tomorrow when we start the 11th juz, the ending of this chapter. So I'm not going to talk about that now, but look at this verse. Verse 80 says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the Prophet sallallahu You can seek forgiveness for them, or you don't seek forgiveness for them. Because some of them used to come to ask the Prophet sallallahu Oh, please seek forgiveness for us, and things like that. You can do that if you want to, he's saying the Prophet sallallahu marra. Even if you seek forgiveness for them 70 times. Meaning in abundance, فَلَنْ يَغْفِرَ اللَّهُ لَهُمْ Allah is not going to forgive them. It's because they've disbelieved in Allah and His Messenger. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not guide such transgressing people. They're very satisfied to remain behind. 
behind when the Prophet ﷺ has gone out. And they've totally disliked to go out and expend their, their, their wealth and their lives in the path of Allah. And they said, They actually said to others, Don't go out in the heat. Look how hot it is. Don't go out in the heat. Allah is telling them the, the fire of hellfire is actually worse. It's actually much more intense. If only they could understand. That's why they should laugh less and they should cry more about this. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us, You know, when other people have more wealth and more money, let not that not beguile you. Let that not impress you. Allah just wants to punish them in the dunya. That's why today you see so many who are so, uh, so uh, great violators of Allah's rights and bless, they blaspheme Allah, etc. But they've given so much in the world. Don't worry about that. Allah wants to just use that to their detriment. Just a few other verses that I want to I wanna point out uh, before we end. There's also the verse of Sadaqah is mentioned here. Right? So the verse of Sadaqah is mentioned here. The verse of Anfal, the distribution in the booty, in the war spoils, that was part of Surah Al-Anfal. There's a lot of resemblances of the two surahs. So Surah Al-Tawbah now has the distribution of who zakat recipients are. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in verse 60, إِنَّمَا الصَّدَقَاتُ لِلْفُقَرَاءِ وَالْمَسَاكِينِ وَالْعَامِلِينَ عَلَيْهَا وَالْمُؤَلَّفَةِ قُلُوبُهُمْ وَفِي الرِّقَابِ وَالْغَارِبِينَ وَفِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ وَابْنِ السَّبِيلِ فَرِيضَةً مِّنَ اللَّهِ Many have the opinion that all of this refers to poor people, but just first a poor person is mentioned in general, and then after that it's mentioned uh, the one who has absolutely nothing, the one who has something, and then after that the various different other people that are engaged in, in, different, uh, in different activities, and then of course there's the amilin who are state-appointed um, Individuals to go and collect They don't have to be poor But they can also be paid from zakat And that's another discussion Before that verse 58 tells us Right they send to you with regards to sadaqah If you give them sadaqah they're very happy And if you don't give them they're very angry You get people like that today Who call up the masjid for collection You know for, for asking Without really needing it as much and they get happy if you give them something and if you don't, you do a proper scrutiny and you don't, then they get, they get upset. I'm not saying they're munafiqeen, but I'm saying that's a munafiq attitude. I think I've covered all the verses here. Let me just quickly discuss uh, a few points about Surah Al-Bara'a. Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu, he approached Uthman radiallahu anhu. So it was in Uthman radiallahu anhu's time that they actually had a Quran written in script and put together. Because until then, many of the Sahaba had their own collections and they had their own memory. So that's what they would rely on. But in Uthman radiallahu's time, when numerous people were being killed in different parts, especially when some Huffad got killed and so on, they decided that they should bring the Quran together and they should actually write out seven copies and send them to the major centers of Islam around the world. So that's what Uthman radiallahu anhu did. And that's where, where this final organization of the surahs has come together. Majority of the surahs, as Imam, uh, Imam uh, there's numerous books on this subject. There's a great book on the Asrar or Tartib al-Quran, where he discusses this in length. And there's numerous other, uh, other books on this subject as well. But for the ulama who want to check this out, they can, they can look at this. So the discussion is that uh, there's, a, there's a narration which shows that Abdullah ibn Abbas came to Uthman after he'd compiled the Quran together and he'd put Surah Al-Anfal before Surah Al-Tawbah. 
Now, Surah At-Tawbah seems to kind of fit here. That's not a problem. But Surah Al-Anfal doesn't seem to fit in terms of the number of verses. Right? It has very less verses compared to how many verses uh, the surrounding surahs have. As I said, it only has 85 uh, sorry, 75 verses, which is very less compared to the 100 and over verses for the other long surahs. So Uthman said that, look, this Surah Al-Bara'a was revealed last. Surah Al-Anfal was revealed early on. Surah Al-Bara'a was revealed last. And we were unable to ask the Prophet where to place this surah. This goes to show that all the other surahs, the Prophet had told them, they'd inquired, you know, the writers of the wahi, they inquired where the surahs need to go, where the ayahs need to go. So all of those, what they call tawqifi in Arabic, they're all from the Prophet directly sanctioned. This one, the Prophet passed, uh, departed this world and we didn't know where to put it. But there was this discussion as to whether it's actually part of Surah Al-Anfal or not, because the theme is very similar. So because of that confusion, one of the reasons... That's the reason why they didn't add Bismillah here. That's one of the reasons why Bismillah is not added here. Is that, is it really a separate surah? Or is it actually part of Surah Al-Anfal? So is this one surah? But because we don't know for sure 100%, they left it as separate surahs, but they just didn't write Bismillah. Another reason some have given why Bismillah is not written here is because the theme of this is basically war, warning, and so on. And when you start with Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, you're invoking the mercy of Allah. And this is a position of the majesty and the, the might of Allah as opposed to Him showing mercy at that time. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best, but if you have many people have been curious that why is a Bismillah missing here? Because you can, it's, 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 a, it's a very clear omission. So that's why a lot of people wonder. And so that could be the reason. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. But that tells you a few things that they kept it very clear. They kept it very clear. Another thing that I need to point out before we go into the summary is, you know, the verse where I mentioned that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala censored the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam about why he had taken that decision of not killing them, not murdering them, but rather letting them go with a ransom. Now, that is a verse which tells us, proves two things to us. That is obviously something which uh, is censoring of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi if he was the writer of the Qur'an, number one, if he was the writer of the Qur'an, he would have omitted this. Why mention something there that tells you off, right? That uh, basically senses you. And there's other verses like that as well. And number two, the proof that this is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet was a truthful individual. He said it as it was, however it was revealed, that's how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's, that's how the Prophet said it to us as well. And... So now let us uh, quickly just go through our final. Um, one more verse I want to point out, which is verse 14 of Surah At-Tawbah. Allah says, "Qatiluhum." Well, actually, before that, verse uh, verse 13, which is, "Ala tuqatiluna qawman nakathu aymanahum wahamu bi ikhrajil rasuli wahum badaukum awwal marra." Very clear. Look at this. Aren't you? Uh, Allah is telling the people there. Right, to encourage people because you need a lot of encouragement. It says, aren't you going to fight a people right, who've broken their treaties and their oaths and they have intended to remove the Prophet to chase him out? So we're not attacking somebody for no reason. These were all defensive. Right? There was a reason. There was always impending danger in those days. They're the one who started their aggression against you in the first place. This clearly tells you these were not just offensive, 
campaigns, these were very defensive. Nearly every single one was a defensive one. Atakhshawnahum. So then Allah is saying, do you fear them? Allah is more rightful to be feared if you're true believers. And then Allah gives them, He says, if you're going to fight for the real cause, then qatiluhum yu'adhibhum Allahu bi'aydikum wa yukhzihim wa yansurkum alayhim wa yashfi sudura qawmi mu'mineen. You go and fight them. Wage war against them and Allah will punish them through your hands. You're just going to be the tools. You're going to be there doing what you're supposed to do, but Allah is going to be punishing them through your hands and Allah will humiliate them. He will assist you upon them and He will provide that opening in your heart of the, of the believers basically. And Allah will remove the anger from their hearts and so on and Allah forgives whoever wishes. And by that, then finally, there's another verse I want to point out. In verse, in verse uh, which verse is this? 25 of Surah Al-Tawbah, Allah says, لَقَدْ نَصَرَكُمُ اللَّهُ فِي مَوَاطِنَ كَثِيرًا Allah has assisted in you in so many places. Remember, this is one of the last chapters of the Qur'an to be revealed, right? This is one of the last chapters of the Qur'an to be revealed. So Allah is saying, we've assisted you in so many different places, right? We've assisted you in so many... It says that according to one order, this is the 113th chapter of the Qur'an. Right, 113th chapter of the Quran. So it's very late, so it's talking about a lot of hindsight. Uh, for example, we've helped you in Hunayn, and that one is another censoring one. Hunayn actually took part, uh, took part, uh, took place after the battle, of, uh, after the con- uh, after the conquest of Makkah, when now the Muslims had a huge army. They had, mashallah, a lot of confidence. You know, gone were the days of the battle of Badr, where they were minor, uh, where they were a minority. So when they went to Hawazin. They thought they're going to walk over them. And that's why Allah says very clearly, clearly, Allah still helped you there, but that was the time when, when your abundant number made you self-confident. And that didn't help you at all. فَلَمْ تُغْنِي عَنْكُمْ شَيْئًا You're just being self-confident. Oh, we got the numbers, don't worry about it. That didn't help you at all. وَضَاقَتْ عَلَيْكُمُ الْأَرْضِ And you know, it's a long story, but when they got there, they want, they, there was a surprise attack. Right, where they were just in a valley and then they were just attacked in a shower of arrows and they didn't know where to turn. And that's when actually there was a lot of dispersal uh, and uh, the Prophet ﷺ kind of remained with just a small people, a group of people and the Muslims dispersed here and there. And that's when the Prophet ﷺ showed that you know, he wasn't always in the background at all. Abbas Abu Sufyan was with him, Abbas was with him, few people. And the Prophet ﷺ said, Muttalib. I am a, a prophet that does not lie. I am the son of Abdul Muttalib because Abdul Muttalib was known for his great honor, truth, valor, and everything. So he showed uh, at that time that Alhamdulillah it all came back together. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells them that no, that's not the way. The earth was constrained upon you despite its expansion. And then basically you had to return. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the Sakina upon his messenger and upon the believers. And then Allah sent Anzala Junudan Lam Taroha. He sent an army that you could not see. And then he punished the disbelievers. And that is the way, that is basically the recompense of the, of the disbelievers. So Alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us the ability to complete this. Let us just quickly now look at uh, just a summary of what's going on in this surah. Firstly, it starts off with the battle of Badr and the, 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 the whole spectacle and the whole setup and the dream of the Prophet sallallahu and then the day itself. 
and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted this to occur and how Allah wanted to give uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to give victory to the, to, to the Muslims Then number two The second thing from verse uh, 54 of Surah Al-Anfal and, and onwards Is basically the adab and the etiquette and the principles that people need to follow When they're in a just war right? Uh, stand firm, obey Allah Do not dispute wa- with one another And be, have a lot of patience and, and, and don't be arrogant Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then after that, in Surah Al-Anfal, one of the strong messages that we get from Surah Al-Anfal is unity, right? Which basically uh, is mutual assistance. That's a very important lesson that we take away from here. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us and all of our brothers and sisters in the world that are fighting with one another and have these things against one another that are then manipulated, right? To basically weaken the Muslims in general. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala remove that from them. May Allah grant them strength. Then Surah Al-Tawbah, Surah Al-Bara'ah starts off with all of the treaties that were between the Muslims and the non-Muslims and how uh, they were going to be ended. It wasn't ended just straight away like that. They gave them four months because that's only fair to do that. And then after that, a lot of the prohibitions came in about mushrikeen not being able to do uh, hajj in Makkah, etc. Then after that, we had... There was one verse which we didn't uh, talk about. It's, مَا كَانَ لِلْمُشْرِكِينَ أَنْ يَعْمُرُوا مَسَاجِدَ اللَّهِ the whole concept of who's allowed to uh, basically look after, build, and uh, inhabit a masjid. It says mushrikeen are not allowed to do that. This is probably one of the only places in the Quran that deals with the concept of imaratul masjid. Right? Now the, the, the fiqh of this is that masjids are allowed to take donations from non-Muslims as long as in their religion, whatever their persuasion is, they believe this to be a virtuous act. Of course, tomorrow we'll, re- we'll, we'll read other places where even masjids that were built by others were destroyed because there was harm. So if they're trying to pay you or to give you money to basically buy you out and curry favors with you, that's obviously incorrect. But if they believe, uh, if they believe that it's virtuous for them to help you in a certain situation, then it is allowed to spend uh, bring non-Muslim money into the masjid uh, to, to use as well As long as their intentions are correct And their belief is correct as well So all of this tells us That if mushrikeen are not allowed to do this That means that those who do inhabit the masjids They need to have sincerity Masjid should not be established just for name and fame I've built a masjid But they should be established to cater for the needs of the people And people should not be unduly restrictive as to who can come and who can't, or who can study, who can't study, and so on. Having a membership of a masjid of a certain group, that's completely fine because that's just like the waqifin. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as it's open to all and the facilities are open to all, that's what's important, right? Because we've had in history, I mean, one person has a masjid and he runs it himself. That's completely fine. There's nothing wrong with that. A lot of people have this issue that, oh, only Bengalis have this, uh, you know, they run this masjid. As long as they run it, or Gujaratis, or Arabs, or Egyptians, or Somalis, that's completely fine as long as it's open to all and it's made accommodating, right? As long as it's made accommodating, that's what's important. Because anybody can look after a masjid. People don't have to be on the board to look after a masjid as long as things are going right, right? The, uh, being on a board is not like some kind of objective, right? That's, that's not the point. The point is to make sure things run smoothly so people can still volunteer in those things. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, speaks about uh, the uh, sadaqat, uh, who it's given to, 
the zakat recipients, the eight different categories that were that, that were discussion, that were under discussion, and then after that, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, as I mentioned, uh, the major discussion here is to basically out the munafiqeen, all their problems, what they did, and we can obviously learn from this. Inshallah, we are not munafiqeen, but unfortunately, some people have the characteristics, individual small small characteristics of the munafiqeen, and that needs to be avoided. And uh, I think that's it. I think we we end here. I just want to mention the. Uh, two points. Uh, uh, I mentioned the other day that uh, you can learn these, uh, uh, you can consult these various different tafsir. Told you about tafsir.com and so on and so forth. For those who are uh, who understand Arabic, right? If you uh, if you're an alim, alima, or you just understand Arabic, then we have a really good course that's been alhamdulillah running now for two years called the Advanced uh, Quran Tafsir Course through White Thread Institute. And mashallah, what that does is that that actually takes you through. Uh, the ulum al-Quran takes you through the eloquence and the balagha of the Quran, the inimitability of the Quran. It also takes you through orientalist um, arguments, criticisms against the Quran, responses to that. And then uh, uh, a, a nice amount of time is spent on a survey of about 25 to 30 tafsirs throughout the year. So we take segments of different tafsirs from the classical early tafsirs down to the latest uh, contemporary tafsirs, even tafsirs of, uh, of uh, uh, other sects, uh, heterodox tafsirs of Shia, of, uh, of others, and, and w uh, basically just to give you an understanding of what different tafsir are saying and their unique features and so on. Very good for ulama, alimas, and for anybody who understands Arabic who's got an interest in, but you need to have Arabic for that because uh, a lot of it is discussed you know, from Arabic texts and so on. And finally, the last thing is Alhamdulillah, uh, mashallah, it's Ramadan time, people like to donate, and they're donating. Right? You know, we're receiving, uh, you know, donations to Zamzam Academy. So all I want to request you is that please don't donate to Zamzam Academy, right? Inshallah, that will be changed on the website as well. We, we don't need, alhamdulillah, we don't need uh, money in Zamzam Academy. It's running, alhamdulillah, it's a virtual academy anyway. It's all online, all for free. If you want to donate, then please donate to White Thread Institute instead. Because that's where we do a lot of the teaching and that's where basically what we're doing is where that's an institute, a postgraduate institute for alims and alimas after they graduate to give them further knowledge so that they can become leaders of the community. That's where we need more of the, your funds. So please feel free open-heartedly to donate to White Thread Institute. Don't donate to Zamzam Academy, but keep the Zamzam Academy and White Thread Institute in your du'as. That kind of donation will be very, very appreciated. And again, keep us all in your du'as and uh, mashallah this masjid. Right, is, uh, has opened its doors for us to this entire month of Ramadan for us to do tafsir. Right? And uh, it's a Turkish masjid, as you can see, with the uh, absolutely beautiful and splendid uh, design work and everything like that, which just makes it better because humans like aesthetics and inclined to aesthetics. And that's why I was actually persuaded by one of our organizing brothers here, may Allah bless him, to, and he actually provided me with this uh, special Turkish turban. And then I've got the Turkish thobe on as well. So... You know, when you're in Rome, then be like the Romans, they say. So I guess when you're in Turkey or the Turkish masjid, then be like the Turks. And mashallah, may Allah bless them, right? So um, alhamdulillah, may Allah bless you all. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to be together for the rest of the journey and allow us to complete it, inshallah, and complete our journey of this world as well. Wa akhiru da'wana. And alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.